following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. I wanted to focus today on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through uh, chapter 6, verse 1. But before we get to that, let me read this quote. It says, Our world is, is not being attracted to the Christ we serve because they are not seeing Him at work in our lives. They see us doing uh, good things for God and they comment, That's nice, but it's not my thing. And let the world see God at work and He will attract people unto Himself. And when the world sees things happening through God's people that God cannot be explained except that God Himself has done them, the world will be drawn to such a God. And I wonder, when the world looks at the church, do they see God at work? When the world looks at you and I, do they see God? Is it evident in our lives that God is at work? You know, churches so often are manufacturing reasons for people to come to church and attend church. But the reality is when people see God at work, when lives are being transformed, they want to be a part of that. And people who see God at work will meet in the barn in order to, to see it. We don't have to manufacture reasons for people to come to church when God is at work. And in these letters to First uh, and Second Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uh, is writing here to a church that had struggles. And First and Second Corinthians are fascinating to read because they give us uh, insights into the growth and the struggles of that first century church. And I read a bit of church history in fact, I've probably been reading a little too much church history, but church history for me gives me hope for the future of the church. For one thing, the church has always kind of been messed up. So it gives me hope that the church will continue even though it's going to kind of be messed up at times. But you discover pretty quickly that the church has always struggled and every generation of the church has struggled to, to discover how to live out their faith and their belief within their generation, within their time. And every generation has had to figure out how best to understand and live out their faith in the time in which God has placed us. And in this letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he often chastises them for, for their sinfulness and for their things that they're not doing right within the faith. But at other times within these letters, he commends them for their faith and for the good things that they've done. And he also then offers them some practical help and practical insights into their faith. And so I wanted to focus today on this passage because it, it actually speaks to the heart of the purpose for why we exist and why we're here on earth. And the Apostle Paul in chapters 4 and 5 of the book, he's building up to this climactic point. And he's building up to this climactic point of the great purpose for which he is an apostle, but also for the great purpose for which uh, we as followers of Christ exist. And so I wanted to follow his flow of, of thought through chapters 4 and chapter 5. And as Reuben said earlier, uh, the letters in the Bible are, are actually letters. They didn't see the Bible the way we see it, broken down into chapters and verses. And so there's a, there's a flow of thought that goes through each of these letters. And the Apostle Paul, as he builds up to this climactic point in verses 16 through, through the first verse of chapter uh, 6, he's, he's building up to this point and he's got a thought pattern that he goes through. And so let's look at that together beginning with verse 4 of chapter 4. It says this, 
The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so he begins by just pointing out that the God of this age, and who is that? Satan. That Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. That they cannot see God. They can't, they can't acknowledge God because they're in the midst of this, of this darkness. And then he moves down to verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That those who come to believe have this light, the light of God, the, light, the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That in the midst of the darkness, we have this light that divides that darkness and opens up our eyes to the things of God. And then he moves on, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. That even, even though we have this light of God in our lives, we're still hard-pressed on every side. That life will confront us. That that darkness will confront us in our lives. Even though we have this light, he says. And then moving on. We don't have time to kind of go into the depth of these verses, but moving on to verse 14. He says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. That God raised Jesus from the dead and he will also raise us and gives us an eternal hope. That's our hope that God will one day rise, raise us from the grave. Verse 16 through 18 here, he continues his thinking. Therefore, because we have that hope, because we have that light, therefore, we do not lose hope. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I think our church right now is experiencing a little bit of that with Ian's passing, aren't we? That we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. But day to day, we're being renewed on the inside. And then verse 18. And so then, because we do not lose heart, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but as on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on the things that are going to last for eternity. We fix our eyes not on the things that are that are around us, that are so temporary. And everything we see around us is temporary. It's temporary, one, because even if this world continues after we die, it's temporary for us. But we seem to focus so much on what is seen. But Scripture is telling us that we need to focus on what is unseen, the things of eternity, that we need to have eternity on our, on our mind and our hearts. And then we get to chapter 5. And he moves down into uh, chapter 5, verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us uh, for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and, we, and know that as long as we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. Therefore, we live with this confidence of faith, and we don't live just by sight in this world. Verse 9, he continues. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. 
because we have this light of Jesus Christ in our lives, and even though we're hard-pressed on every side, we do not lose heart. And it leads to we fixing our eyes on Jesus, on fixing our eyes on the things that are unseen, not on the things that are seen. And therefore, we make it our goal to please Him because we live by faith. We make it our goal to please God. Uh, one of the writers I'm listening to his book right now called uh, Church History in Plain Language. His name's Bruce Shelley. And he writes this quote that I want to read for you. He says, On the contrary, said Paul, if they really have accepted Christ by faith, they have accepted the way of Christ and the mind of Christ. And the man who really loves God can do as he chooses. For if he really loves God, he chooses to do the will of God. So you can, you're free to do whatever you want because if you're a follower of Christ, you'll do the will of God. You'll choose to do that because you're a follower of Christ, because you desire, if you're living by faith, to please Him, Paul says. And then now Paul begins this transition into his main focus there in chapter 5. And it's verse 11. He says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. And that, that word fear, when you read it in the Scripture, uh, oftentimes it might strike fear in you that we're supposed to be afraid of God or we're supposed to be scared of God in some way. But that's not, that's not the idea behind the word fear. The idea is that we should live in the sense of awe and reverence for God, that the God of the universe, the God that created us, would actually want to have, uh, be involved with our day-to-day -day lives. That should give us, we should be awestruck by that fact. And so because of, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. We try to persuade others of coming to know Christ Jesus for themselves. And so because of these things, because we know Satan has blinded the hearts of the unbelievers, but the, those who believe have this light of Jesus in us, so even though life is hard, we continue to focus on eternity and live by faith to please God and to persuade others. Now, why do we do this? Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That we should no longer live for ourselves, because we're compelled by Christ and the things of Christ. And when we become less worried about ourselves, it's only then that we can begin to see the world through a different lens and begin to understand the world in a different way. Because as long as you're consumed with yourself, you cannot see the world the way God sees it. And then you get to the crux of the matter here. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 16, From now on then, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. 
So from now on, because we're compelled by the love of Christ, we're compelled by Christ, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. But what's that worldly point of view? What does that look like? What is it? Isn't the worldly point of view a view in which you, you are the center of the universe and that you view the world out of yourself and so you're most worried about yourself and your desires, your wants, your needs, your place in the world. You compare yourself to others. That's all this worldly point of view that's focused on self and focused on the worldly desires of the self. But I've heard it said by some that the unhealthiest people are those who are consumed with self. Jesus doesn't have a place for that kind of thinking. Because verse 17, Apostle Paul pointed out there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. The new creation is a new way of thinking. The old worldly point of view, that self-centered point of view, is gone. The new Christ-centered point of view is here, that we no longer are driven by self, but now we're compelled by Christ. And the things of Christ, we're compelled by His love. And I have to admit that this is a real struggle for me, to no longer be driven by self. It's a constant battle in my mind and heart to not be driven by self. I can find that some days I wake up and I'm shocked at my selfish thinking. While other days I can wake up and I'm compelled to, to focus in and be driven by the things of God. And I know when my mind and my heart are not focused on the earthly, are, are not focused on eternity, rather focused on the earthly things and I'm not focused on the things of Christ, then I become much, much more selfish and self-centered. So much of life revolves around self, and our world tells us day in and day out that you're the most important person in the universe. And it seems strange, actually, to live in this world and not focus on this world. But the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 gives us an insight into what it means to focus on eternity and the eternal things, the things that will last. So turn over to Philippians chapter 4. This gives us some indication of what eternity, what thinking about eternity looks like. He says in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. These are the things that are going to last. The things that are going to last into eternity are things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Those are the things that are going to last. But yet, we're all too often filling our minds and our hearts and our lives with evil, with darkness, and with sinfulness. And it's a challenge for us to put more of the things of God into our thinking than the things of this world. Because the world is confronting us with that evil and that darkness. Watch television. Watch the nightly news. It's filling your mind and your heart with evil and darkness. But God says we should focus our mind on the things of eternity, the things that are unseen, the things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy because that's how you put on the mind of Christ. That's how you start to become compelled by the love of Christ is when you put Christ into you and you focus and you think about and you put your energy into that. And the only way I know how to overcome my selfish thinking is to put more of my mind and energy into the things of God. To adjust my life so that it's more focused on God than it is on the things of this world. And that's a challenge for each of us to do. 
to do my best to wake up each day with an awareness that actually God is actively involved in the world around me. But also to wake up each day with a willingness to adjust my life so that I can encounter what God is doing in the world. So that I can be a part of what God is doing in the world. The days I wake up and I don't do this are the days that I see that selfishness rapidly arise within me. And so the Apostle Paul here is directing our attention to these two essential elements. The first one is found in verse 19 where he says that God was reconciling the world unto himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And so you get out of that that God has been working in the world, that God is actively involved involved in the world, working to reconcile the world unto himself, that God did not create the world and abandon it and abandon us and make us, force us to just survive on our own, that God is actively involved in our lives and actively involved in the world around us, and he's actively working to reconcile the world unto himself. God has been part of been doing this work of reconciliation in the past and God is part of our lives now working to reconcile the world and the Bible says that God will be doing this into the future but the second thing is this that God invites us to become partners with him that's where Paul says there and he committed to us this message of reconciliation we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. It is the sense in which we are called to participate with God in his activity of reconciling the world to himself. Now, every morning at 9.38 in the morning, my phone gives me alert, an alert at 9.38 every day. And I have that in my phone to remind me to pray a prayer. Because Jesus in Matthew 9.38 said, Pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. And that's my prayer every day at 9.38. Now granted, some mornings it's a quicker prayer than other mornings. (laughs) But I try to every day with that alert on my phone, remind myself to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, to send out people who are willing to adjust their life to Him and to focus on the things of God and to work with God, to be a co-worker with God in the reconciliation of the world unto Himself. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul, one of the things he's doing in, in uh, the Corinthian letters, the Corinthian church argued against the Apostle Paul as if he was somehow not a legitimate apostle. So one of the things he's pointing out is he is a legitimate apostle, and the apostles are therefore God's ambassadors. They've been working this whole time, working with God to make his word known, to, to make these appeals to be reconciled to God. And, and as God's co-workers, the apostles are urging you to be reconciled to God, to not take God's grace in vain. But it's also conveyed a message to us that we are also, as followers of Christ, Christ's ambassadors, that we are co-workers with God. And Paul said earlier in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, he said, for we are, God, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. It is that sense in which God gives us an invitation to join him in his continuing story of reconciling the world unto himself. And last week, Reuben talked about the Bible, and he laid out the idea that the Bible is a continuous narrative of God's mission to reconcile the world unto himself. 
and how God interacted with the world and interacted with His followers to accomplish this mission. And here in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul's focus is on us joining with God in that continuing story of reconciling the world. And the reconciliation is available to each and every person, unchurched and churched. Because the basis for that reconciliation is Christ alone. When you enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And the God of the cosmos, the God of history, has reconciled rebellious humankind through the work of Jesus Christ. And that idea of reconciliation, to reconcile something, is perhaps a word that we don't use a lot in life anymore, but... I'm old enough to remember checkbooks. I know a lot of you are as well. And with checkbooks, of course, you had to reconcile your checkbook each month to make sure you, what your checkbook said you had in the bank, you actually had in the bank. But nowadays, usually it's just the accountants that know about reconciling because in a business, all businesses and trusts and organizations, they have to reconcile their books. So they have to reconcile the money that came in and make sure it's the same amount as the money that went out, basically. I'm not an accountant, so I have to go to the accountants to figure that out. But basically, if those two numbers don't line up, if the money coming in doesn't line up with the money gone out, someone's liable to pay whatever they can't find. And God says we're liable to pay for our sins, that our sin is separated us from God. And it's irreconcilable on its own, that we can't reconcile our books between God and us because of sin. But that God reconciled the world unto Himself no longer counting our sins against us because of Jesus Christ. Therefore, God says to both of us, He says to you and He says to me, I forgive you. Those three little words can transform lives. I forgive you. Because God has forgiven us, He gives us this invitation to join with Him in the ministry of reconciling the world unto Himself. And there's nothing better than participating with God when someone comes to know Christ and you've played a part in their lives and you've played a part in them coming to know Christ for the first time. There's nothing better on the planet than to be a part of that, to see God's activity through you. And when you come to know and accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're doing more than just punching your ticket to get into heaven. It is the fact that God's reorienting your life He's readjusting your thinking. He's bringing that light in there. It's getting rid of that darkness and opening yourself up to the things of God. That you're no longer compelled by self, but now you're compelled by Christ and the things of Christ. But you've also entered into a new relationship with God. And it's a relationship that's based around friendship because the Bible says we're God's friends. It's also a relationship based around love because God loves us. He loved us so much to send Jesus into the world. But it's a relationship built around family as well because God says, therefore, we are sons and daughters. We're adopted in as sons and daughters into the family of God. But it's also a relationship of calling and purpose. A calling to join with God, to experience God working in and through you. To join in to what He's doing in the world. But what does becoming a co-worker actually mean? What does it look like? Again, in Philippians... I think we get an indication of this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. The Apostle Paul again writes and he says, For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Partnering with God means that God will work in you and through you. 
doesn't mean that you're responsible for all the good works and you're responsible for changing people's lives. It means that our work is to simply be available to God, to open up our lives, to have this willingness to allow God to work through us, to give ourselves fully over to Him. Because you see, God is more interested in your availability than He is in your ability. Because I believe that God will equip you for where He calls you. Scripture says that He'll give you He'll give you the words to speak to those unchurched friends and neighbors in those moments in time when you pray for the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. That God will equip you. Your role in being a co-worker with God is simply to be available and willing to step in to where God presents the opportunities with you. He will equip you for where He calls you. And when you're available, then God will work through you. We cannot produce spiritual change in anyone. Only God can do that through the Spirit. In fact, you cannot change anyone. And you know, for me, when I started in the ministry, when I was a young pastor getting started, I would carry the, the burden of everybody's troubles on my shoulders. I'd take it home and, and I'd uh, fret about them and I wouldn't, I'd lose sleep about it because I wanted to change the world. I wanted to change their lives. I wanted them to, to see Christ, but I wanted to change them because I thought that was my role in life is to change them until the reality sunk in that I can change nobody. We don't change people. People only change when they desire to change. Our work is to try and persuade them to come to the knowledge and understanding of Christ. And God will work through us and give us those words But first, a person has to want to change before they're going to change. And secondly, God is the one who creates that spiritual change. In fact, in John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I will remain in you and you will bear much fruit. But we kind of sometimes miss this last little part where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, apart from Christ, you can create no spiritual change in anyone. Because it's Christ Jesus working through you where the spiritual change takes place. When somebody's mind and heart opens up to Him. And when you're connected to God in your daily life, you will become more aware of God's activity around you. When you wake up with that mind of Christ and you're compelled by the love of Christ, you'll be more willing to join in with what God is doing. But people who are not connected to God and focused on Him they have a hard time recognizing when God is at work. And given enough distance between us and God, you may find that you're, you're, you're moving all the way to maybe God and Satan, maybe they don't even exist because you have such distance in your relationship with God. But when you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. In the book of Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Athenian philosophers And he makes mention to them, he says, actually, God is not far from any one of us. But later on in Hebrews 10, you discover that Hebrews says, when when you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. And when you draw near to God, your life and your mind and your heart become more focused on the things of God. And you become more aware of the activity of God all around you. And to get involved with what God is doing, it will cost you something. It will cost you time. It will cost you effort. It might cost you money. 
I don't believe that we can serve others and get involved with the activity of God and not have it cost us something. And we need to have a willingness to live outside of ourselves, beyond ourselves, and focus on Christ. And you know, you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. This morning, we're going to uh, sing a song after communion. It's called, Take My Light by Chris Tomlin. And I wanted to just read these words to you. It, it just talks so much about giving our life over to God. And sometimes we read worship, we sing worship songs, and we don't really take them in and take the heart of the message. So I want to read these as I wrap up this morning. Take my life. Take my life and let it be consecrated to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from Thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a might would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as you choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord. I pour out at your feet its treasure store. Take myself. I will ever be only all for thee. Here am I, all of me, take my life, all of thee, it's all for thee. Lord, I thank you that we can gather here in your name to freely worship you. But Lord, more than that, I pray that your words and your spirit will move in, in all of our lives, that you'll open us up to the things that you're doing around us and where we can get involved, where you're inviting us to be involved with what you're doing, reconciling this world unto yourself, Lord. Perhaps some here have never really given us much thought. I pray that you'll move in their hearts today. I pray that you'll open up their thinking, open up their, their activity to being willing to adjust their life to get involved with what you're doing, Lord. I pray that you'll humble each one of us to know that it is you that works in and through us when we give our lives fully over to you. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of us will be available to you today. Lord, thank you, and it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.